How many of you woke up this morning, and the first thing that was on your mind, you woke up, Stan? That's good. I'm glad <laughs> you did. I'm, I'm working on it. How many of you woke up this morning, and the first thing on your mind was, I wonder how I'll be remembered? Me either. <laughs> you may have uh, recalled a few years ago, um, Billy Graham was being interviewed by Diane Sawyer, one of these uh, evening news things, and she said, Dr. Graham, how do you want to be remembered? This was at the end of the program, and I thought it was very interesting what he said. He uh, didn't really answer her. He said, uh, well, I really want to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant. And at that, he looked down at the floor, and he said, but I'm not sure I will. End of program. Went to a commercial. I'm waiting for the sequel. Nothing happens, and they go on to this next, probably uh, CSI or whatever is out there these days. Left me kind of empty. If you have your Bibles with you, if you want to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, the third chapter, starting with the ninth verse. I want to talk today about that day when we will be remembered by God himself. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, you are God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid a foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which has been built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire." I get a picture that one day we're going to be standing before the Lord. And there's this big furnace over here. And everything that I've thought, everything that I've done, everything that has uh, been a part of Barry is going to be thrown into this furnace. Not talking about hell. Talking about a judgment. And in this furnace, all, the good news is that all those things, uh, those wrong thoughts that I've ever had, those those wrong things that I've done, those things that I've wasted my time on, they're going to go in that furnace and they're going to go, poof, gone. Never going to be heard of, never going to be thought about. It's gone forever. Also, potentially the good news is there might be a few things, according to this, that are going to stand, that are going to endure the fire. And those are the things that are going to carry with me throughout eternity. You know, some of us have the, uh, the idea that we're going to go to heaven and we're going to sit around and strum a harp or whatever the case might be and, and eat uh, fruit that doesn't get messy when we eat it and all the Twinkies we want or whatever the case might be. <laughs> there's much more than that. Uh, we don't know what much more is, but we do know that there's much more than that. And, and the Scripture tells us that really what's important now and in the future is how we handle ourselves today and that foundation which we're building on. And if it's not built on Jesus Christ, then there's going to be a fire, and you as a believer will be saved, but you're going to be standing there with, that's it. And be 
aware that there could have been so much more with your life. A few uh, months after that Billy Graham interview, I heard Erwin Lutzer on the radio. It was perfect timing because I was really wanting to know the conclusion of this story. And he said, some of you may have witnessed uh, Billy Graham on TV the other day and talking to Diane Sawyer and how he uh, commented that uh, he wasn't sure if he was going to hear well done. And he said, there's probably at least a couple of things that came to your mind. One is, oh, Billy's just being humble. You know, Billy's a pretty humble guy and he's being humble. Or two, if Billy's not going to hear it, I know I probably won't. (laughs) Or three. And he went to expound on this with the rest of his message, which was just marvelous. He said, Billy Graham has come to the understanding that we all need to come to as believers in Jesus Christ. And that is, of all the things that we're about and all the things that we may accomplish on this earth, all the things that Billy Graham has accomplished in his ministry, the millions of people he's preached the gospel to, how how many would like to do that? The Hundreds of thousands, if not millions, who are going to possibly be in the kingdom of heaven because of Billy Graham's preaching. Leaders all over the world for for decades, uh, uh, many presidents, personal pastor too. How many would like to do that? And for Billy Graham to say, I'm not sure I will. He has come to an understanding, Lutzer said, that Graham knows that none of that was really about Billy Graham. What it was really about was the giftings that God had imparted into Billy Graham from the foundations of the earth that he had chosen to put into Billy Graham, this ministry. And the question is, for Billy Graham and for you and I, are we going to take what God has given us and do what we're supposed to with what we've been given? I'm not gifted to go preach to millions of people. I get nervous by coming in here and doing this. (laughs) I couldn't do what Billy Graham does, but I haven't been assigned to do that, thank God. The question that Billy is asking himself, have I done what I'm supposed to do? Will I stand before the Lord and be able to say, look at all I did? (laughs) And Billy knows the the answer to that, and that's absolutely not. Absolutely not. But he's going to have to ask himself the question, and you and I need to ask ourselves the question, are we going to be able to stand before the Lord and say, Lord, you gave me certain things, and I did what I was supposed to do with them, or not? Because the furnace will reveal it, even if we're not... I want to talk about a uh, passage out of Matthew 25, and I won't read it. I think you're very familiar uh, with it. Uh, Jesus spoke in regards to three servants. I want to do what uh, I call a super hyper paraphraseology. Um, it's in the dictionary, and, uh, and, and if you can't find it there, just say it enough, and it'll be in there a couple of years. So that's kind of the way things are going today. A super hyper paraphraseology. There was this guy, and he had these three employees. And uh, one was named George. One was named Abe, and one was named Benedict. And he brought him into the office one day, and he says, Fellas, I'm going to be going away for a while, and I want to take you to take care of the business while I'm gone. And uh, to George, he said, George, here is uh, uh, five portfolios, and I want you to look at these over, and I want you to uh, uh, do what you're supposed to do with them while I'm gone. Abe, here's a couple more for you. I want you to take care of these two. And uh, Benedict, he said, here's one. Uh, he noticed his secretary's looking at him kind of odd, and he looks over at her and he kind of whispers. He says, don't worry, I'm just giving them out according to their ability. Not everybody has the same ability. I'm just giving them according to their ability. So uh, George had the ability for five, and, and Abe had the ability for two, and Benedict had the ability for one. Well, the boss went away, and uh, he came back uh, sometime later. 
And he pulled the guys back into the, uh, the office there, and he uh, said, hey, guys, uh, it's really good to be back. Uh, how did you do with the portfolios that I gave you while I was gone? And George stepped forward, and he says, uh, boss, I uh, took the five you gave me, I invested them, I worked on this projects that you had for me to do, and, and I have now ten portfolios to give back to you. And uh, the boss says, great job, uh, you're getting a raise, uh, you are a great employee. And uh, he looked at Abe and he said, Abe, uh, what have you uh, done with those two that I gave you? Abe said, well, I worked on them, did the best that I could, and uh, got a couple more for you, so here's four for you to uh, take care of boss. And, and the boss said, Oh, that's a great job. Uh, you're getting a raise, too. Uh, you're going, both of you guys are going up in management. And he looked over at uh, Benedict, and he said, Benedict, what would you do with the one portfolio I gave you? And Benedict said, well, you know, I got a great desk that you gave me, and I shoved it in the drawer, and I locked it up so nobody would steal it. As a matter of fact, uh, I protected that portfolio. Nothing was going to happen to it. No problem. I've got it. Here it is back. <laughs> and the boss said, that's not what I wanted you to do. That's, I didn't give you that portfolio to lock it up in your drawer. I gave you that portfolio as a gift for you to be able to work on it and do something with it and, and increase this business that we have here. And uh, Benedict said, well, you know, uh, you're kind of a tough boss, and I don't want to disappoint you. And so uh, that's all I have to offer is what you originally gave me. And the boss said, give it back. And he gave it over to George. George uh, had 10. Now he has another one. And he said to Benedict, he said, you know what? You're not really fit to be a part of this company. He said, as a matter of fact, you're not fit to be a part of this town. He said, as a matter of fact, you're not fit to be a part of this state. He said, as a matter of fact, you're not fit to be a part of this country. As a matter of fact, you're not fit to be a part of this planet. That's pretty serious stuff. Jesus talks about the same story without the super hyper paraphraseology. And he talks about three servants. And he talks about how that servant who took the talent and he buried it in the ground was not fit for the kingdom of God. And he said, and there's different understandings of what this really means, but that he was sent out into outer darkness where there was wailing and gnashing of teeth. The question that I have to ask myself every single day, really, is not how I'm going to be remembered by men. Uh, that could go up and down the ladder. All you got to do is just make one mistake or, you know, have pizza one night and it doesn't look good on you the next day or whatever the case might be. It, it doesn't, men are fickle. What is important is how am I going to spend the rest of eternity with the Lord as saved by the skin of my teeth or having taken what he's given me and doing what I'm supposed to do with what he's given, the talents. It really is important. I had an uncle who passed away back in 2000. He was a great guy. He owned some grocery stores here in Topeka and did all kinds of neat stuff. And he, he was a benevolent fellow. And all the family was gathered around and, and uh, talking about how he's in heaven right now for all the good things he did. <laughs> and, uh, of course, he's my uncle, and I'm doing the funeral service, and this is my one chance. And so I offended them all. I said, well, I'll tell you what, Uncle Dick... He never provided over 200,000 meals for anybody like I did. So I guess I get to go to heaven because of all the good things that I've done. And Uncle Dick, he didn't do that, so he may not make it. I'm better than he is. Oh, were they mad. They were really upset. They wanted to take my name away from me. His last name was Feeker, too. And I said, well, wait a minute. I guess there's a guy named Franklin Graham, son of Billy. 
and he's fed millions of meals around the world. I said, maybe I'm in trouble because Billy Graham's son, Franklin, is better than I am. I said, what is the measuring stick? And the reason I throw that at you today is that we're not here because of our works, but we're here because of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he imparts for us to do. I can't compare myself with Mike or Kent or Stan or anybody else in here, and you can't compare yourself with me. All of us are on the same level playing field with the Lord. It's between us and him, not between us and each other. It's about what God has gifted me to do, and am I doing what I am supposed to do with the gifts He has given me is the real question. I want to share today just some examples of how I have seen that played out uh, many, many times at the Topeka Rescue Mission and how God can use the smallest things. You don't have to be an ordained minister. You don't have to be um, a smart guy like Kent Vincent, a Marine and a lawyer. It's amazing God's grace, isn't it? <laughs> You don't have to be, you just have to be you. You just have to be you. You just have to be you because he loves you. And it doesn't matter if you're only given one portfolio or one talent and another guy's given five or 10,000. It matters for you to do what you're supposed to do with what you got. And all the Lord is going to ask you is, what did you do with what I gave you? Not with what I gave somebody else, but what I gave you. There's a lady that's back at the mission today. I'm going to call her Sally. Sally came to the mission when she was 15 years old as an emancipated teenager. Had three kids at that time, 15 years old. She uh, later would have two more. And uh, all of them are gone now. They've been all been adopted out. The courts took them away, said you can't have any more. If you knew Sally's life, you would feel pretty sorry for her. She has had a life of prostitution. She was raised in an adult entertainment center in the back room. That's how she had her start. Uh, She uh, has mental health problems. She has one thing after another, after another, after another. She is a representative of the over 2,000 people that we see at the homeless shelter called the Topeka Rescue Mission every year. She has been coming in and out of the mission for the last 15 years. She's 30 years old now. And finally, Finally, we're beginning to see something transform in her life. Finally, because she went down to our little thrift shop the other day and and looked on a shelf and she saw an old, dusty, beat-up King James Bible, and she had never read one of those things before, she pulled it off, and now she is memorizing Scripture, and she is imparting the Word of God into her life, and we're seeing some significant changes. And she stood up in front of a bunch of people the other day, and she says, I finally figure out why I keep messing up and why I keep coming back to this place called the Rescue Mission. And she said, it's because it's the only place I've ever felt genuine love in my life. Now, it's a good problem for me and a bad problem. (laughs) The good problem is the place people can find love. Bad problem is how do we get them out there so they can feel love in a place like this. She's in the process. And it's because of people like you who have heard the call of Christ and said, Lord, what do you want me to do? People ask me, how did you get in rescue mission work? Now, that's a long story, but I can take it back even further than just me. And it started back in the uh, early 1900s. Not that old, but this guy named Jerry McCauley. Jerry was a riverboat thief in New York City. Jerry was uh, alcoholic, and he got arrested. And he finally got put in a place called Sing Sing. 
Sing Sing Prison, New York. Bad place to be. Most guys like Jerry would go in, never come out. Jerry had a bad attitude. He was one of those lifers. He probably was never going to see the light of day again. One day he was walking past a chapel there in Sing Sing. And he looked inside the door and he saw a guy who he had roomed with two years before in the cell. And he saw this guy standing up talking and he says, well, I've got to go see what this is about. So he goes in and he sits down and this man was telling about how Christ had come into his life right there in prison and how he had transformation. The Holy Spirit got a hold of Jerry McCulley at that very moment and saved him. Jerry began to have a transformation in his life like Sally has had after 15 years and like so many others have. And Jerry began to improve so much that he got an early release from prison. While he was in prison, Jerry McCulley was looking for how God could use what Jerry had to do what God had designed him to do in the first place. And so the first thing that came to Jerry McCulley's mind is I need to start a shelter for homeless people. We didn't have rescue missions back in those days, late 1800s, 1900s. So the first rescue mission, as we know it, was started in New York City by Jerry McCulley. So Jerry gets out. He's excited. He's enthused. Uh, The first rescue mission was in a tent. Um, All those things that uh, seem kind of silly to us today, but that's where they were. And Jerry was going down the path of using the gift that God had given him to do what he was supposed to do. And then an old friend showed up by the name of Al Cahal. <laughs> and Jerry met Al, and they went out, and they got connected with old times, and Jerry got intoxicated, and he fell in the quote-unquote gutter, there to stay and to never build a rescue mission. Until one day, some people came by who recognized this old drunk in the gutter. They were the same people who had been called to go into prison to minister to the guys, and they remember Jerry McCauley. And they said, man, he doesn't look like Jerry, but we know that's Jerry. And so they reached down and picked him up. They cleaned him up, and they helped him to straighten up. Now, they could have said, oh, there's that, there's that phony. There's that guy who, you know, he didn't amount to anything, just like we could with Sally many years ago. Well, she's never going to amount to anything. And uh, somebody could still say that today because of all the bad things that she's done. But no, they said, this is a child of God, this is somebody who's in the battle of war, and they've gotten knocked down again, let's help him. And so they began to help Jerry McCauley get back on track with his vision to start a homeless shelter. Today there are over 300 homeless shelters that Jerry McCauley was a part of starting around this country, Topeka Rescue Mission being one of those. If that would have not happened, I don't know where we'd be today. God would have worked out some other plan, but we wouldn't have it like we have it today. And Jerry McCauley was going along gangbusters, and then, when you know it, a few months later, Al shows up. (laughs) Jerry McCauley falls off the wagon back in the gutter. People came back around. They looked for him this time. They picked him up. They cleaned him up. They helped him to straighten up. He got back in the saddle again, tried to start the rescue mission. A few months later, Jerry McCauley gets drunk again, goes in the gutter. They went out looking for him. A few months later, goes in the gutter, went out looking for him. A few months later, goes in the gutter again and again and again. History records that Jerry McCulley fell back in the gutter 64 times before he and his former prostitute, now wife, would start the very first Association of Gospel Rescue Mission in the world, which still exists today in the Bowery section of New York City. Why? It's because people who understand the marvelous gift of Jesus Christ and understand that Christ has given everyone a talent. 
has given everyone a portfolio, has given everyone an opportunity to do something with their life, said this is my assignment. Jerry McCauley is who we're supposed to minister to and reached down and picked him up and did what they were supposed to do. What is their furnace experience going to look like? Where are they going to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant? I venture to say there's a good chance that they will. You know, some of you say, well, you know, I'm not skilled to go in prison. I'm not skilled to do this. I'm not skilled to do that. Well, I want to tell you what, 21 years at the Topeka Rescue Mission, I walked in without the skill, and I'm going to leave there someday without it too. It's just one of those things that I knew I was supposed to do, and so far I'm still supposed to do it. And the classic example of this in my life has been a lady by the name of Linda. Linda, chronic alcoholic, mentally ill, been in and out of the mission so many times that I couldn't count many years ago. One day I was driving uh, down at 4th and Topeka. It was a rainy fall day. It was cold and wet. And I looked over and here was this lady in a nightgown sitting on the ground, bobbing her head back and forth. She looked very, very bad. Went up to her. She had thrown up all over herself. She was incontinent. Needed to get an ambulance. And we got the ambulance there and off she went to the hospital. I said, this time Linda may not make it. About two weeks later, cab pulls up. There's Linda. She needs a place to go. She can't even hardly walk. We put her in a bed. A few days later, I am asked to come see Linda. So I went into her room, and I, I remember peeking in the room and, and saying, Hi, Linda, how you doing? And we had a brief chat, and, and uh, I walked on down the, the hallway there, and I, I don't remember seeing Linda again. Uh, she got on one of our programs, and she left the mission, and I figured I'd see her someday or read her obituary or something. That's the kind of tough things that happen and the kind of work that we do. You just never know. But we're there for them when we can be to do what we can while they're there. I got a call from Linda one day sometime later, and she said, can I come see you? And I figured, well, Linda's got a, got a need. You know, I'll, I'll see her. And so I said, come on in. And she walked in, and she looked really good. She uh, had been a while. And she said, do you know the last time that we spoke... And I said, well, not really. And she said, it's been 10 years. And I said, 10 years? And she said, yes, 10 years. Remember that last time I went to the hospital and she went through the whole thing? Do you remember coming into my room? And I said, I vaguely remember that. She said, do you remember what we talked about? And I said, no. And she said, I don't either. <laughs> I'm going, okay, this is going somewhere. <clears throat> she said, you looked at me. You looked at me, and there was a look on your face. And whatever happened with the look on your face, I never drank again after that day. And I have been sober for 10 years, and I'm simply here to say thank you. And I said, well, praise God. <laughs> thank the Lord. She says, well, I do. And I've received him, by the way. He's my Lord now. And uh, she says, but I'm here to thank you, Barry. And I said, well, it was the programs and the staff, the volunteers. She said, oh, they helped. But it was you. It was that look on your face. And then she looked at me and she said, now, I've got, still got a problem with smoking. Can you look at me again? <laughs> and I said, well, I'd like to, but don't remember how I did it the first time. So we talked and had a nice pleasantry and so on and so forth. She left. I would never see her again. But I was driving home that night. And I'm processing the day. Had a little time to pray on the way home. And I said, Lord, what was that all about? What, what, what was that about? And I really felt like the Spirit spoke to my spirit. And it's, he said, 
to me, this is what I'm trying to tell you. This is not about you. I can even use that face to do what I want to do, however I want to do it. God can use anything. The formula for this is, in my opinion, after these years now, is not what we're about. It's not what Billy Graham is about. It's what God's Holy Spirit is about in the world. And for you and I to show up where God's hanging out and to simply obey when we get there is the key to a fruitful life. The Linda story goes on. Linda would uh, pass away less than a year later. I would be at a Dillon's grocery store some months after that, and I'd be getting my groceries and checking out. And I looked over, and there's this really pretty girl Look kind of familiar, and, and she's uh, pulling her groceries out, and, and she comes up to me, and she says, hey, remember me? And uh, gave me her name, and I said, well, yeah, I remember you. How you doing? She had been in my youth group when I was a youth pastor. Many years ago, she had two sisters. She was the youngest, and all I really remembered about them, because it had been so many years ago, is that they were raised by their aunt. Couldn't be raised by their mother because their mother wasn't around. I never knew much about that, but I knew they were sweet girls, and they were in the youth group, and she's going on and telling me about how she'd gotten married and newlyweds and, and the rest of the family and how it's going. And she said before we went out the door, she said, I want to t- tell you thank you so much for helping Mom. And I said, uh, what do you mean, Mom? And she said, Linda. And uh, I said, what do you mean, Linda? I said, uh, I knew your aunt who raised you. I never knew your mother. She said, well, yes, you did. She said, you worked with mom for a long time, and she gave you credit for helping her come to the Lord and and quit smoking. (laughs) I walked in my car, once again recognizing this isn't about us, folks. It's about our availability with the portfolio that we've been handed, letting the Holy Spirit do the work. It's not rocket science. You don't have to wait for it to come. You don't have to wait for you to get the right kind of training. Training is important. Knowing the Word of God is extremely important. Knowing the relationship between you and the Savior is the greatest important thing. But for you to be used in His kingdom, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. A simulcast going on here, okay? This is, this is being broadcast in two places at the same time. He's doing it up there as he's doing it down here. You don't have to wait. All you've got to do is say, show me where. And let him do through you. One more story. Jen, I know you've heard these many times. So, uh, and she's staying awake. That's cool. Can't hurt him. Vincent. Had a guy named uh, Bill who was a great cook. Um, he was a professional chef on a railroad car, making pretty good money. He got depressed. He uh, turned to alcohol, drugs, divorce, eventually homelessness. Came to the Topeka Rescue Mission. Now, I'm not real discriminatory. When we've got 600 meals to feed every day and we need a cook, <laughs> I don't care if they know the Lord or not. If they know how to cook, they're going to the kitchen. So Bill says, hey, I, I can do that. And, and so I put him back in the kitchen, found out he was a marvelous cook. And, and uh, I was getting to know Bill just a little bit and learn about his story and how discouraged he is with life and how he's homeless now. And, and he said to me one day, he said, I'll do some cooking for you here while I'm here. But you've got to promise me one thing. 
that you will never, ever talk to me about God. Now, here's a guy, poor guy, he finds himself in a building that's got Jesus saved and a neon sign over the top. I mean, this is really cruel, okay? He don't want, I said, Bill, why don't you want to talk about God? He says, well, number one, he doesn't exist. And number two, if he did, I would hate his guts for all that he's done to me. And that's the way it is with so many people, Sally included, Jerry McCulley, Linda, me at one time, maybe you. That's the way it is. That's where we start. We blame God. But anyway, I said, okay, Bill. You got a deal. We need a cook. I'm not going to tell you about God, but just in case you're not aware, he's probably going to try to tell you about himself. And we left it at that, and he said, whatever. Bill came to me one day. There's two pastors. There's three people from the community. We're all sitting down in our old dining room back in the old days at the old rescue mission. And we're talking about how we really need to save up our funds because we need to build another building someday. And, And we're not going to be spending any money on food. Or anything else, we're just going to trust God for everything. Bill comes up to me in front of these guys and he says, Hey, I know you don't want to spend money on anything, but could we possibly spring for a couple of heads of lettuce? And I said, What for? And he says, I want to make sanchos for dinner tonight, and you've got to have shredded lettuce to be able to chop up to put in the sanchos to really make it good. He's got the meat and the tomatoes and the shells and all that kind of stuff, but I have no lettuce. And, of course, you know, you make these wise decisions as an administrator whether you like Sancho's or not. And I happen to like Sancho's. So I said, sure. Yeah, we can do that. And so Bill turns around to walk away. And at that very moment, a woman walks through the front door. I never got her name. But she walks through the front door. And in her hand was this large Ziploc see-through bag of shredded lettuce. I'm just kind of like, whoa, wake up. And I said, ma'am, could you come over here? And she comes over, and I said, what, what do you have there? <laughs> like, uh, you know, I didn't know. And she said, it's lettuce. And I said, what are you doing with it? I didn't, I'm making a small conversation here like she was my pet lettuce. I carry it wherever I go, you know. It's, <laughs> it's, you know this one's Harry, and this one's George, and this one's, you yeah. <clears throat> know. She said, we were at the church last night, and we had this dinner, and we ate everything, and then uh, this is all we had left, and we're getting ready to throw it away. And all of a sudden, I got a check in my spirit that probably down at the rescue mission, they could use food. And then all of a sudden, she went into this apology stream, just began to apologize like crazy. I know you probably really don't need it. I know you probably got lots of food. This is nothing but lettuce. I'm sorry. I'll find a dumpster on the way out. No, 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 no. (laughs) Bill's still walking away. This is how fast this happened. I looked over at the two pastors, the three other guys from the community, and they just got their mouths hanging open about that. Why? Bill, he turns around. I said, could you come back here? He came back, and I said, look. And he looks down, very puzzled look in his face. She's looking at me like, what are you doing to me? I said, Bill, the Lord is telling you about himself. I said, ma'am, this is Bill. He's our cook. We don't have any money for food right now. He wants to make Sancho's. And here you come along with lettuce. And Bill just a few seconds ago said that's what he needed. I said, don't go throw that away. You heard from God in your church last night. You know what that meant to her? Tears just began to flow down this woman's face. Because she recognized that a little thing possibly was getting ready to become a big thing. And I looked around at these guys over here. The two pastors, the three guys from the community, and they're bawling like babies. Well, I had to join them. And so I'm crying. 
And we're all crying. I look over at Bill and I said, Bill, this is it. This is about what I told you I wouldn't tell you about, but he'd tell you about himself. He's just here to say that, yeah, he really likes Sancho's. No, he's here to tell you, Bill, he hears you, he sees you, he knows what you're going through, he knows your challenges, he knows your struggles. He was there before you were born, he's there today, and he's going to be there for eternity for you. He just wants you to know that. And Bill looks at uh, the lady, said, thank you, ma'am, takes the lettuce, looked at me, gave me the nod, and walked away. (laughs) Hard hearts can be very hard sometimes. We were all rejoicing, but also felt a little discouraged that we didn't see immediate result. Bill came to my office, I think it was three days later, knocked on the door. He said, we got to talk. He was wrestling with this experience. That very day, I had the honor of helping him to understand who Christ was, and he became a believer that day. It's not rocket science. It's not something that is for someone else to do. If you were told to make shoeboxes for the kids, make shoeboxes. If you were told to come to the rescue mission and work with the rescue run in a couple of weeks from now, go do that. If when you walk out this door today at the end of the service and God brings someone to you, you know you've shown up, just be open to what he asked you to do. One day we're going to be standing before the presence of the Lord. And the most important thing to us, after we recognize that we truly have received our reward in salvation, the next thing we're going to want to know is, did I please you, Lord? Did I do it right? And you're going to be listening for those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. The question is, like Billy Graham asked, Will I or won't I? The opportunities are there because the Lord is laying them before us each and every day. The opportunities for Barry are there. I, you know, my people give me credit all the time for building buildings. I didn't build any buildings. I didn't build any buildings. I didn't raise those dollars. I'm not feeding 200,000 people a year. God is doing it. I get to go along for the ride. The question is, do I want to stay on the ride? question is, do you want to stay on the ride that God has put you on to do what you're supposed to do with what you have? Would you pray with me? Lord, your word says, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Father, we look to you today to help us to sort out all the details of this very challenging world we live in, in order that we may focus on those things which are really important, in order that we may be able to weed out all those things that are going to be burned up in that furnace, whether it's our favorite football team, whether it's our favorite movie, whether it's our favorite food. Lord, we realize that those are kind of extras here, but help us to understand their place And understand your place in our lives. There's a great opportunity here before us, Lord. Whether it's just using our look, whether it's just using our lettuce, whether it's using us in a consistent basis to go down and pick somebody up, clean them up, and help them to straighten up, to start a great movement. 
Lord, it's all about you. I would ask as I walk out of this building today, and for all these who are here, that you would help us to be open to your plan. Help us, Lord, to be able to receive the direction from you. And help us to remember to show up and just be able to say, yes, Lord, when we get there. In your precious name we pray. Amen.